Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas-Hill. And Colin, safe to say that while I was on vacation, a lot happened in these last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, we I, I was saying before we started recording, there's probably not a two-week period you can just take a step away from Ohio State football and expect that there is nothing that will happen. But yes, when the top-rated defensive recruit in the history of modern recruiting ratings picks Ohio State, uh, yes, that's that is fairly sizable news, Dan. And that was one of one of several pieces of news that came along the way, including that now amateurism is dead. College football, college athletes, and all sports can make money off their name, image, likeness. Yes. Plenty of things happened, Dan. Yeah, there were a bunch of commitments this past week. Uh, there was news on the basketball front. You were out at the opening and Elite 11. So we're going to talk about all of that. But we have to start with the news that Ohio State fans, frankly, have been waiting for for months. Frankly, the news that is maybe the biggest news of the entire year in terms of uh, the football team's roster and uh, the recruiting front. And that is that JT Tuomolowau is finally a Buckeye. It's been a long time coming, and it seemed like in those last 24 to 48 hours, there was a little bit more nervousness and anxiety than there was beforehand. And yet, after he makes that commitment, you just sort of take a step back and look at the freshman class that's coming in and say, like, wow. Like, it was already really, really good. And now this is an all-time great recruiting class. And if you look at the rankings, because of the, the ad of the addition of JC Tuomolo, if you look at the rankings, if Alabama hadn't put together the 2021 class that Alabama did, this would have been the best recruiting class in modern recruiting history. And it just so happens that the two best recruiting classes in modern recruiting history are happening in the same year, and Ohio State is second. But that sort of tells you, where Ohio State is um, in, in terms of this class and, and what the JTT edition means, which is now they got two of the top four players in the country coming in to play the same position on the defensive line in these next three years. You know, I think that I think if you look at the defensive end position, you wonder like, oh, are they going to have like the depth in 2023? What's that going to look like? It doesn't matter really because you have Jack Sawyer and JTT and things. Things in Columbus, Larry Johnson has made it made it made it A-OK going forward on this defensive line as to, to, to no surprise of, of any of us. We keep talking about how you enjoy uh, not knowing where recruits are going to go. I think you got your wish on this one because I don't think – I think we genuinely did not know until he announced where he was going if he was going to be a Buckeye. We didn't know for sure. I mean, it, it, it certainly had seemed – there's certainly positive signs throughout that, that Ohio State would be the eventual destination. But when you have somebody like that who is so intensely private about his recruitment and – has been waiting so long to take a visit and finally does. And you're essentially basing everything off of one visit and a metric ton of zoom calls. Yeah. There's, there's not a ton of confidence you can have going into it. Even if you feel like Ohio state's in a decent spot. Yeah. And it sounded like, you know, even Ohio state wasn't quite sure until uh, the day they got him, if they were going to get him. So, you know, this was a, a lot of uh, relief, uh, an anxiety off the shoulders of Ohio State, to be sure, on uh, Sunday when this happened. And certainly a, a lot of excitement for Ohio State fans because 
you know, when you look at everything that went into this recruitment, I mean, I, it, truly a recruiting process unlike any that we've ever seen before in terms of the fact that he didn't make an announcement until July and, and he could enroll at Ohio State any day now and, and start his Ohio State career uh, very, very soon. And then the fact that in the modern recruiting era, JT Tuomoloau is the highest rated defensive player to ever sign with the Buckeyes. And when you think of some of the guys they've had in past years, guys like Chase Young and, and Nick Bosa and Jeff Okuda and, and so many of these top recruits they've landed in the past 10, 20 years, whatever you want to, whatever range you want to go with. This guy is rated as a better prospect than all of them. And then you add that into everything that, you know, Ohio state had to go through before finally landing him. You know, this is undoubtedly one of Ohio state's biggest recruiting wins ever. Yeah. And JTT, I mean, the, the way that Brandon Huffman, the, the two, four, seven sports reporter who was the inside guy on the JTT recruitment for, for basically the entirety of it. You know, he had said JTT is the best recruit that he's seen come out of the area in the two decades that he's been covering it. You know, he's a 6'4", 275-pound defensive end, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call him, defensive lineman, who could be one of the best tight ends of the country if you wanted to play that side of the ball, who could be a Division One basketball player. He's a freak of an athlete who can come in and, and be physically ready right away. And I think that my question off the bat is just what to expect from him in year one because I sort of – I go, I, I go back and forth on it because part of me says he's JTT. Like he is the number three recruit in the country. He's the best player to ever pick the Buckeyes based on recruiting rankings. You imagine that he's going to come in and play well and play a lot right away. And the other hand is it's July 7th. He made his decision on July 4th. He's not like Jack Sawyer who spent many, many camps many, many days at Ohio State learning from Larry Johnson. He's He has a little bit of a different background. I wonder if it might take a little bit longer to assimilate into the college ranks. Um, and then I go back and say, well, it's JTT's the number three player in the country. He's an athletic freak. And I think things are, are just going to be are going to be OK. You uh, land on what to expect from year one, knowing that, yes, both of us are going to project that he's going to have a great Ohio State career down the line but we're just talking about year one right now. Yeah, it's really tough to project. And the other reason for that is because Ohio State has a lot of veteran defensive ends. I mean, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste, these are all guys who have played for the last couple of years for Ohio State that are back this year. So now, you know, you look at this rotation, I expect there to be six guys in the rotation this year because I think both Jack and JTT are both too talented not to have a role this year. I think we saw that from Jack this spring. And because of what you said, you know, if Jack being in there for a whole spring, my feeling is that Jack's role will be a little bit bigger than JTT's early on, just because he's been on campus for six more months. He's been through spring practices. JTT is going to have to have a really steep learning curve here over the next two months. Uh, to get up to speed for the season. But at the same time, like you said, I mean, he's so talented that I cannot imagine him 
not having a role. And quite frankly, in a recruitment like this, I know Ohio State doesn't like to make promises, but I have to think that he's been given assurances that he's going to have every opportunity to earn a role here as a freshman because uh, in a recruitment like this, you know, there's no doubt that a guy like JT wants to come in and play immediately. And so I'm sure Ohio State has told him that he's going to have opportunities to have at least, you know, some role early on. And, you know, I think what, what really intrigues me when I think about this defensive end group is what a Rushman package could look like this year. Because, you know, it's, they've kind of been off and on with how much they've used that package with, you know, four defensive ends up front. But there's no doubt that they have the personnel to make that happen this year. You know, I think about, you know, the possibility of having Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Jack Sawyer, and JTT all out there at the same time in a third down pass rushing situation. And I think that could be pretty tough for an opposing group of pass blockers. How would you, how would you align it? Cause I, I have the same four guys in my head and I already have an alignment, Dan, what's, what, what's your, what's your rushman alignment? Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm definitely putting JTT inside because of his size. I think I'd probably go JTT and Zach Harrison on the inside and then Jack and Tyreek on the outside. All right. I was hoping we'd have some disagreement, but we don't. And it's basically because I love I love what I saw of Jack Sawyer coming from the from 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 the edge. I think that Tyreek Smith's get off is incredible, and I think that he just works better as a as an edge rusher who can come around wide and JTT up the middle and Zach Harrison with his size. Like those are guys you can win on the inside. And yes, like if we're not if we don't see that this fall, I, I just think that it would be a total shock. Um, because it makes too much, it makes too much sense not to utilize. Where do you fall on kind of, you know, the idea of how many snaps, you know, these two freshman defensive ends are going to get this year and kind of maybe how that could change over the course of the year. Cause I'm inclined to believe, you know, early in the year that Larry Johnson's probably going to lean most heavily on those four veterans. But, you know, I do think, you know, for either Jack or JT, you know, there's a strong possibility either one of those guys can be in the two deep by the end of a year, maybe even by midseason, because they're both that talented that, you know, I think if you're a guy, you know, like a Tyler Friday or like a Javante Jean Baptiste, you're going to have to produce if you're going to keep your role, you know, on the higher end of a rotation, because these guys behind them are just so talented. Yeah, almost always in the past, I've fallen back on the fact that as much as Larry Johnson has recruited talented defensive ends, oftentimes what he does is he lets the veterans play and he rotates the the you know the the freshmen in in limited capacity and then end of game scenarios and then later in their career they sort of join that rotation. So essentially, the way I would see it is. In, in a normal year, I would see that, all right, they have four upperclassmen. I think that those four are going to rotate, and then whatever younger guys are going to play, you know, limited snaps, maybe Russian package-type snaps and, you know, end-of-game snaps. I'll be honest, like, with, with what I saw of Jack Sawyer and with what I think JTT can be, like, I, I don't really think that you can avoid putting them in situations where they are playing – big chunks of meaningful snaps. And if I'm sitting here today, like I think that Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are, are going to play the most snaps uh, because they are both these 
you know, they're, they're essentially former five-star guys in their third and fourth seasons. And I think that what we've seen from them and limited, you know, we we've seen these flashes from them and they've, you know, it seemed like they were taking positive steps this spring. I do think that they're in line to, to get the, the, get the two most, the, the two highest snap counts. I think Jack Sawyer is going to play the third most. I don't know how you keep that guy off the field and play him like the fifth most snaps at defensive end. Like that to me would just be egregious based on what we saw in the spring. And like part of me wants to say, like, I think JTT might play the fourth most. He, I, I just can't figure him out quite yet. I, I, I'm going to be fascinated to, to see and hear how he performs in, in preseason camp. Cause I just think that that'll go a long way. Like, Physically, I think he's ready to play off the bat, and I could see him being another another guy like Jack Sawyer. You can't keep off the field. At the same time, like you know, Tyler Friday, I, I've liked what I've seen from him in limited capacity. You know, he's just dealt with some injuries over the past year. Uh, Javante Jean Baptiste is physically a freak. He, we just haven't seen a ton of production from him yet. Um, I would say Jack Sawyer plays the third most at the position, and JTT plays the fourth or fifth most. Yeah. I- I agree with Zach and Tyreek playing the most snaps. I think they'll be, you know, the primary starters of that position, you know, based on what we've seen from Larry Johnson in the past, I think he'll mix Friday in there for a start at some point. He'll mix Javante in there for a start at some point. You know, my guess is early in the year, you're going to see those guys get on the field before the freshman. But I I do think that, you know, I do think that ultimately Jack is going to play more, than, than both of those guys. And I, I do think uh, it's certainly possible with JT. I'm kind of the same boat as you where, you know, I, I want to see what he does in fall camp first because, you know, we've seen Jack go through a spring. We've seen him, you know, dominate in the spring and have a great spring game. We haven't seen that with JT yet. So I'm a little less sure about what his role could be this year. But I, I do, I mean, these guys are so talented uh, that I think it's going to be hard to keep them, you know, out of that top four. And, you know, I mean, again, we also got to look at it last year. The pass rush was not great last year. So these are two guys who have a chance to immediately change that. I think what you're really hoping the most is that Zach and Tyreek take that step that we've been waiting for them to take. And if they do that, I think that's the number one thing. If you're Larry Johnson, that you want to see to improve your pass rush. And maybe Javante can do that too. I mean, he's got the physical tools. Maybe Tyler Friday, he's had some issues with injuries. If he can stay healthy, maybe he can do that too. But Jack and JT absolutely have the potential to do that. So to not utilize that, uh, to me, I think that would be a mistake. And I think Larry Johnson, I mean, Larry Johnson knows more about uh, defensive line play than anybody. So, you know, you know, I would certainly defer to his judgment on this. But I think he knows. I mean, just talking about Jack this spring, I think he, he knew that Jack was a guy that, uh, that can help him this year and that he's got to play this year. And I would imagine he feels similarly about JT. So sort of stepping beyond just Jack and JT and looking at the 2021 class as a whole, um, I'll be honest, like I, I haven't written this yet, but like this has just been going through my mind. Like if you don't win a national championship with this group, I think you've it's a failure. Like I like, this is a, this is a group that you have to win a national championship with. Like that's sort of, it's a lot of, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't written it yet. And part of the reason is because like, that seems like a crazy thing to write. Like you have to win a national championship with this group. 
But when you look at the kind of talent that they're bringing in with Jack Sawyer and JTT as the defensive ends with Emeka Ibuka, uh, Jaden Ballard and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. As, as the wide receivers, you know, with Trayvon Henderson as the running back with Kyle McCord or, and Evan Pryor as the running back with Kyle McCord coming in as the quarterback. You got offensive linemen like Donovan Jackson. You got, you know, Mike Hall at defensive tackle, J.K. Johnson and Jordan, Jordan Hancock at, at cornerback. There is an insane amount of talent. And to me, like Ryan Day is the, the fact that he's ascended as a recruiter compared to what Urban Meyer did, I, I think is incredible. And I think that this is just one of those unit, this, this is one of those classes that you look at and say, like, this is a national championship class. And now it's all about getting it done on the field. Yeah, I think that comment you made is absolutely fair, because if you look at it, if you think about this class's third year at Ohio State, that will be Ryan Day's fifth year at Ohio State. So I think what your comment is completely fair. I think if, if if it's 2020 by the end of a 2023 season, after bringing in this recruiting class, if if you haven't won a national championship at Ohio State, then I think that would be a failure. I think that would be a, a disappointment at Ohio State because, uh, yeah, this this is the kind of class that you need to bring in if if you're going to win a national championship. And you know, like you talked about before, you know. It, Alabama brought in the same kind of class this year. So, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily the class that makes you better than Alabama, but it is the class that gives you a chance to beat Alabama. It is the class that should uh, make you better than everyone else other than Alabama. And, you know, it, it, it's loaded. I mean, it, it's loaded. I mean, to have six five-star recruits in a class, uh, that is uh, not something that you typically see. So, uh, to have six five-star recruits in a class is unbelievable. I, I know you made the point over the weekend that Ryan Day has now landed four recruits who are ranked higher than the best prospect Urban Meyer ever signed at Ohio State, which uh, is 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 mind-blowing to think that's, about. Yeah, that's not even count. That's not even accounting for Justin Fields. Like right. If you put him, that's five. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to think about because you think about how Urban elevated the recruiting at Ohio State and, and made Ohio State a national power on the recruiting trail. And, and so far, it, you know, to me, I think you look at this class, it is definitely now fair to say Ryan Day and this Ohio State coaching staff, they have taken Ohio State's recruiting to another level. Now, Urban gets a lot of credit for that because Urban built the foundation for this. You know, I mean, this this isn't like a Dabo Sweeney at Clemson who really had to build this by himself. Ryan Day inherited a program that was already a top three program. So that makes the job a little bit easier. But his job, I mean, Urban Meyer said it the day that Ryan Day was hired. He wanted Ryan Day to take over this program and not just maintain what he had done, but to enhance it, to build on it. And I think on the recruiting trail, that's exactly what Ryan Day is doing right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And and I think that he's recruiting at a level that 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 only Alabama is at right now. And I think that there were the, the, you know, in the past, maybe, maybe two years ago, we were talking about how there is an upper echelon of recruiting where it's Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, Georgia, right now it's Ohio state and Alabama. And I think that they're currently separating themselves from the pack and we'll see how the 2022 class finishes. That was how the 2021 class went right now. You know, 2022 is looking great for Ohio state. You know, Alabama, as always, is slow playing it a little bit, but it's Alabama. Things are going to go just fine for them. And I'm interested to see if, if those two separate from, from the pack again. But but 
you know, my point is pretty simple. It's that you have to win a national championship with this group. I think if you look at, if you look at the 2023 projected depth chart right now, like if you just, if you think, if you think that far in advance, like at quarterback, it's Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers. At running back is Trayvon Henderson. It's wide receiver. It's Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, pick, pick your guys there, pick whichever five stars you want. Cause that's what Brian Hardline has done um, at the offensive line. I'm going to be honest, I don't have this pulled up right now, so I'm not going to rattle off five offensive linemen, but uh, they've recruited pretty well there. At defensive line, you have JTG, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall. You have all those guys. Um, at linebacker, you have the Cody Simons, the the CJ Hicks, the Reed Caracos. There are a lot of guys there. And in the defensive backfield, the way that Ohio State is recruited in 2021 and the way they're currently recruiting in 2022, by 2023, they could be really, really good in that secondary as well. Um I just think if you look ahead, if you're projecting ahead a couple years down the line, like they're going to be special. They're going to be special. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious to say that right now, but I think it's also worth noting and saying when we talk about them being special, we're not talking about them being great. We're talking about them that, that they should win national championships. And the question shouldn't be whether they won one. The question should be how many. Yeah. I mean, this is for, this 2021 class is the kind of class that should be, one of Ohio State's best recruiting classes ever. I mean, on paper right now, it is the best recruiting class that Ohio State has ever had. Now, will it be remembered as such? That will depend on what they do over the next three to five years. But, you know, right now, I mean, we, you know, I think the 2017 class is the one we look at right now is kind of a standard for a recruiting class with all the stars that have emerged from that group at Ohio State, like Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins, Jeff Okuda, Wyatt Davis. You know, if, if you're in this class of 2020, 2021, I mean, their their goal should be to surpass that. This this class's goal should be to be better than that class. This class's goal should be to be better, the best recruiting class that Ohio State has ever had because it's got that kind of potential. All right. Also on the recruiting trail, not no more JTT. Let's move ahead a little bit to 2022 because yes, it's not like we're we're not the full time recruiting guys, and we do have a full time recruiting reporter in Garrick Hodge who, you know, I think we should probably have on in, in, in future weeks once he once he gets really settled in. It's officially his second day, so uh, we haven't brought him. We didn't. We decided not to bring him on quite yet. Um, but since you've been gone, Dan, they've got three commitments thus far. Running back, Dallin Hayden, cornerback, Terrence Brooks, and wide receiver, Kojo Antwi. What, what, what's, what sort of stands out about them, and, and is there one in particular that – interest you that you want to talk about or, or that you're impressed by? Well, I think if you look at Terrence Brooks, he committed to Ohio state just 16 days after receiving an offer. He wasn't even supposed to visit Ohio state initially. Then a, a week, basically a week after he got an offer, he, he scheduled an official visit and, and I think he had four official visits scheduled and, and he fit in Ohio state as that last one. And obviously at that point you could see like, okay, He's seriously considering Ohio State. But you know, to be honest, when I first saw he got that offer, I mean, my first thought was, it's kind of late. Like, it's June, and you're offering this guy who's a top 60 prospect in the class, seemingly offering him once they realized they weren't going to get Toriano Pride, and making an offer. And I thought they might be a little too late in the game here. And clearly, a, a testament to Kerry Combs and everyone else who was involved in this recruitment that they were able to immediately charge to the front of this race and, and land a commitment just over 
uh, two weeks later from a guy who's ranked as the number 58 overall prospect in his class. Uh, you know, a guy that, you know, really should round out the cornerback class. There's definitely some questions there. You know, Jaheim Singletary, their five-star commit, you know, he's made some other visits. There's definitely some questions about whether he'll uh, actually end up in this class. And, you know, seems like even with a guy like Ryan Turner, maybe there's a, a few questions there about whether he's quite 100% uh, solid in his commitment to Ohio State. But, you know, right now, the cornerback class looks excellent with, with four guys uh, committed at that position. And to be able to get back in the game for a guy like Brooks and to land a commitment so quickly, uh, that, that's a big win for Ohio State, no doubt about it. I love the, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, like, don't know a ton about Terrence Brooks, but the fact that he has a plus eight wingspan, which means that his wingspan is eight inches longer than his height is incredible to me. And he basically has a six foot eight wingspan, despite being about six feet tall. Uh, that is nothing short of absurd. Of course, we talked about a big recruiting win for Larry Johnson earlier. Yet another big recruiting win for Brian Hartline in landing Kojo Antwi, the number 115 overall prospect, number 16 wide receiver in the class. I mean, Ohio State just needed another receiver. I mean, it's just been so long since Ohio State had landed a top receiver, huh? I know. It's it, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, like, what's the news? Brian Hartline beat everybody again. Like, at this, at this point, it's, it's it's almost unimpressive unless it's – for like the number one receiver in the country, which he also happens to get every single time around. Um, so yeah, the fact that he got Kojo, I feel like, I feel like you probably, you probably shouldn't undersell it because you essentially pulled him out of SEC country when the SEC schools were hovering and very interested in him. And at many times thought to be favorites. And at the same time, like it's Brian Hartline, like, I feel like I never doubt him anymore, and I can't possibly be surprised at, at what he does. I mean, the dude just gets who he wants. Like Unbelievable. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago, like, oh, are, you know, are they going to settle and get a Landon Sampson to, to round out the class? And nope, they just go get another top 150 guy. I mean, you just look at what he's done. I mean, consistently since he's been here, man, I know – you were at the opening this past week, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And based on what you and others said from the opening, I mean, Kion Gray's right now ranked as the number 151 overall prospect. He would be the lowest ranked receiver that Brian Hartline has landed at Ohio State. And based on what you and others have said, it sounds like he's going to probably move up the rankings here. So, I mean, it's it's just been one blue chip after another at that position. And the room is just going to be loaded. I mean, there's just so much talent coming in. I mean, again, I think if you look at that 2022 class, uh, they should be done at that position. Now they've got Caleb Burton, who's a five-star Caleb Brown is a top 60 guy. And then Antoine and Gray's and, you know, they seem like they all complement each other pretty well. Burton looks like a guy who could be an X Gray's keeps drawing those Chris Olave comparisons. So he's probably a Z Caleb Brown definitely looks like a slot guy. And then Kojo looks like a guy who's got some versatility. He could play in the slot. He could play outside. So this is a, you know, a loaded group. I mean, it's exactly what you want in, in a group at wide receiver. And then, you know, when you figure when they come in next year, you're still going to have, you know, Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka 
and Jaden Ballard. And even if Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are gone next year, uh, there are going to be plenty of options to choose from in that room. Yeah, things are things are just fine. Dallin, <laughs> Dallin Hayden. Speaking of another room that is just fine right now, uh, because all that Ohio State did essentially with these three commitments is add on to a bunch of other guys who are coming in at the position. Dallin Hayden. Um, it seemed like for a while Ohio State was the favorite. He's the number two hundred thirty-five player in the country. He was a longtime target of Tony Alford, and it just seemed like an, an inevitability that he would commit and. He does, and now he is what we expect to be the only running back that Ohio State takes in the 2022 class after taking Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor last year. Um, he's a little bit lower rated than you know a, a Trayvon Henderson or an Evan Pryor was last year, but I do think it's telling that Tony Alford had opportunities and, and Ohio State was in on some guys with higher ratings, and he felt completely fine, and, and not just completely fine, like they, they really wanted Dallin Hayden. Yeah, this is one of those where this is an example of Ohio State trusting its gut, trusting its evaluation over what the recruiting rankings are saying. Because, like you said, I mean, there there were other guys who Ohio State had a chance at that are that are ranked higher, and and this was the guy they wanted. I mean, they they they're only, they're most likely only taking one running back in this class, and and this was the guy who they pursued the hardest. So you know. You know, I think people have made the Ezekiel Elliott comparison because Zeke was a guy who was, you know, kind of similarly similarly rated as a recruit, but he was a guy Ohio State really wanted and obviously ended up being a star. And again, I'm not saying Dallin Aiden's going to be Zeke, but w- what I am saying is that, you know, this is a guy they identified as somebody who they think is one of the best running backs in this class. And, and now they're hoping that they're going to find a gem here in landing him while now I'll now being able to you know shift their focus toward uh, 2023 when you know they're well in the mix for you know some top guys in that class like Richard Young and Trayon Webb and Ruben Owens. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's the interesting part when when you look at Ohio State's skill positions in general too. Like they're able to get ahead in the 2023 class. It's not just a running back; it's also wide. Um, it's at tight end. Um, tech quarterback, it's it's at every position. And I think that that's probably going to be beneficial when you're talking about guys like Brian Hartline and Tony Alford and, and Ryan Day who have shown uh, a great ability to make connections with guys who, who they get in early with, like all of these guys who we just talked about. Yeah, and if you just look at this 2022 class as a whole, now up to 16 commits, seven prospects ranked in the top 60, 11 ranked in the top 200, 14 of a 16 or at least four stars. You talked about what this team could be in 2023. That's not just because of this class that just came in in 2021. That's because of his 2022 class as well, because this class is on track to be just as good, if not even better than the one they just signed. So uh, Ohio state's got it rolling right now. Um, the recruiting trail, you know, the 2021 class is finally complete. Now that JT is in or, signed and roll what I don't even know exactly how you want to call it at this point because it, it's such a unique situation he's a guy. yeah he's not actually signing a letter of intent he's just going to enroll at Ohio State I don't know exactly when that's going to happen but he is a Buckeye as you said and now they can shift their focus to kind of finishing up this 2022 class and then moving forward with 2023 as well so if we want to talk a little bit more about recruiting Dan I 
unlike you, did not spend my entire June going to watch high school football camps. But I spent four days at in Manhattan Beach watching the Elite 11 with Quinn Ewers and the opening with Keon Gray's, CJ Hicks, AJ, AJ Harris, and Xavier Wampa. And there were several other, you know, guys on the periphery of Ohio State's recruiting um, recruiting uh, sphere. But I was mainly focused on those five guys. And I just want, like, just who do you want to talk about first? Let's just go one through five. I don't, I don't really care where we start. I have a feeling I might know. I mean, who do you who think you're I pick. want to talk about first? <laughs> of course, I want to talk about Quinn. Ewers All right, first. we we can we can start about <laughs> Quinn Ewers because this is my first time seeing him in person, and I'll be honest. As, as much as I have thoughts on him as a quarterback, his hair, his hair is unbelievable. And you need to see it in person because, yes, you hear about the blonde mullet, you hear about it. Until you see it in person, you can't I, – I, I at least was not fully able to process it. It is unreal. It's unreal. How, 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 how can you describe it? I mean, how would you just describe it? Um, that I've literally never seen anything like it in person before. <laughs> I can't even believe that it exists. And when I like when I ask him about it, it's like he's somebody who doesn't like talking to the media and at the same time has a blonde mullet, he says, to be different. So I, uh, I'll i be honest, I don't fully understand the logic there, but um, he likes to keep a low-key personality and also has a blonde mullet, which I think is unbelievable. But we want to talk about him as a quarterback. So – he was one of the elite 11 selections, which I think he would have had to have basically, I don't even know what he would have had to done to, <clears throat> to not be an elite 11 selection. Um, <clears throat> but I think that what was interesting is I think it's really difficult to evaluate the, the elite 11. And I think that it probably, I, it's not probably. I think that upsets fans from a lot of different schools because you see a ton of different rankings from a lot of different sites. And I, and now having been there, I understand it. And it's because there are three days and the first day they're all the, you know, they're separated into four different pods and you can't watch all four at the same time. So you really have to only watch one at a time. And then the second day, you know, they, they do have their accuracy challenge, which you can watch them one by one. Then, then it's, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's a seven on seven type deal uh, where there are two different games going on. You can only really watch one of them. Um, you can watch the pro day workouts individually. I understand how people come to different rankings. I also understand how none of them came to the fact that Quinn yours was the best because I didn't think Quinn yours was the best. I think that, I think he's, he's fascinating to watch because his arm talent is unbelievable. It's unbelievable how he can, how he can whip the ball in any different angle, any different arm angle, uh, all different types of throws, whether it's, you know, short routes, whether it's down the field, like his, his ball placement and his ability to put the ball where he, um, where he wants to with the type of speed that he wants to put it on it. Like that's just, um, that's different about him. And I think that that's probably the thing that, that you take away from the other is that, you know, on some areas he, he wasn't super accurate. Um, he also sometimes he has a nonchalance and a an, an attitude that sometimes you can't tell if he just doesn't care <laughs> or if that's just who he is. And I think that that's just who he is sometimes. And I think that that, that messes with some people's minds, um, including my own, because I'll be honest, on day one, he just looked a little bit nonchalant. He was playing with some nonchalance and I, and I couldn't couldn't 100 percent tell what to expect from that. But 
the, the, the number one thing I would say is that I thought he was good. I didn't think that he was Justin Fields. Um, I didn't necessarily think he was that, that Trevor Lawrence type guy who I wondered going in if he would look like that to me. Um, but you can see the projection. You can see the different types of throws he makes. And physically, it, he's, he's not a finished product by any means. Um, and I, would, I, I understand why he's the number one guy in the class, even if he didn't win the Elite 11. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly we don't want to overreact to Elite 11 performance. You know, Quinn Ewers isn't going to go from being the number one quarterback in the class to a four-star because he had an okay week at the Elite 11. But, you know, I think I think what it is a good reminder of is the fact that this guy's 17 years old. He's, he's still got a year left of high school football. And I think, you know, there's already been a lot of talk and there's going to be a lot of talk when he arrives at Ohio State last year about – is he going to be the immediate starter? You know, I mean, there's people who say if he if he was on campus right now, would he would he start right now? And I think it's important to remember that you know this guy he's still in high school. He, he's going into his senior year of high school. He's 17 years old. He's not a finished product. Does he have the tools to be a superstar quarterback at Ohio State? Absolutely. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the best quarterback at Ohio State when he steps foot on campus, you know, I mean, I think, you know, if you think ahead to next year when he comes in, you know, most likely, you know, either CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord's going to be returning as uh, the second year starting quarterback. And, you know, do I think it's possible that Quinn Ewers could come in and, and give uh, Ryan day something to think about there? Sure. But I, I also probably wouldn't bet on Quinn Ewers coming in and being better right away than the guys who have already played the guys who have already been in the system for a year or two. And so, you know, I, I think that's kind of what I take away from it is just, you know, remembering and recognizing that, you know, you know, just, just because he's super talented doesn't necessarily mean he's a guy who's ready to come in and win the Heisman trophy right now. Uh, in, you know, two, three, four years, I think he's going to be a fantastic quarterback. But sometimes it's good to see a guy look a little bit human to kind of reset those expectations and, and understand that even for a guy as talented as he is, he's still human, he's not perfect, and there's going to be development that needs to happen once he gets to Ohio State. Yeah, I, I also think, like, he's just an unfinished product. Like, he mentioned in an interview, like, I asked him, I asked him about when he throws sidearm, like what Ryan Day says about that. And he basically is like, well, you know, he, he would like me to – basically he, what he said is Ryan Day doesn't want him to do that. That's all I'll say, uh, which is like I'm going to get these out at, while I can before I get to college uh, because things might change a little bit once I get to Ohio State. And I do think that there is um, – I, I think that he's going to benefit a lot from from Ryan Day – and, and what he can offer. And, and, you know, we've seen what Ryan Day has done for quarterbacks over the past few years. I think that Quinn Ewers is going to benefit in a, a, a great deal from that because, like, sometimes it almost feels like he's out there wondering, like, you know, what, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, I'm awesome. Um, I could use somebody like Ryan Day. And, and that's why um, I think when, when he talks about – he mentioned – in an interview there as well. Like he felt at one point, like it was an obligation to flip to Ohio state. And part of that is because he's an awesome quarterback and to put on the, the, the get him to the next level to continue him on this trajectory. 
you know, I, I think that he can be an elite of the elite quarterback and to, to get there, he views Ryan day as, as being the guy who can help him do that. And, and I think, you know, it's a smart call on his part. And, uh, we, we, we will see. I'm interested to see what his last year in, in Texas looks like. Um, it is of note, you know, the guy who won the MVP, Kate Klubnik, uh, going to Clemson, also from Texas, also played him in the state championship game. And I going to be honest, like if everybody got tired of the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields storyline, uh, you might want to buckle in because there is another storyline coming down uh, from coming up from the state of Texas. And it is, it is Quinn yours and Kate Klubnik. Who impressed you the most of anybody that you watched at the opening? The, the opening. Okay. So I was thinking about the elite 11, the other quarterbacks. Um, all right. So two guys, if two, if we're thinking about the four guys who I mentioned, Keon Gray's, uh, CJ hits, AJ Harris and Xavier Wampa. I think there were, I mean, honestly, there were probably three guys who I, who I say, but you know, the one guy I would mention like AJ Harris for being a 2023 cornerback is unbelievable. Um, he told me that he wants to decide he wants to make a commitment this, uh, this year or not this year, of course this year, but, um, this month if he can. And if not, you know, maybe after he takes some early season visits to, to see some game days, um, if Ohio state lands him, if Kerry Combs can reel him in. And he did mention like Kerry Combs is the number one reason right now that he's interested in Ohio state. Uh, if that happens, like I feel very, very confident that AJ Harris is going to be a star. Like I, I mean, you watch him and it's physically, he's everything you could want. When you watch him in a seven on seven uh, setting, you can hear him. And he is definitely the, he has the kind of attitude that you'd want as a cornerback. He is certainly, he, he does not lack confidence at all. Um, physically, I mean, he's everything you could ask for. Uh, he, he had a, what essentially was a, I don't know, 100 yard pick six. <laughs> he had a, he had a great pass deflection in the same game in the same seven on seven. I was watching. I think AJ Harris is going to be awesome. Who else really impressed you? I know you said there were two or three. Keon Grays, I think Keon Grays is a star. And this is the first time I'd ever seen him. Um, he's ranked like number 151 in the country. He's definitely better than that. Um, I don't, I can't pretend that I've seen the other 150 players to know exactly where he'll slot in. But I'm, I'm six feet. He's no taller than me. He's probably about six feet. He's physically, he's just, he looks like another guy. Um, he's, he's built very well for his size, but he's not, he's not huge. He's just a pretty average sized guy, but he has an ability to get open, to get, to get, you know, steps of separation and to come down with contested catches that I think is really, really, really impressive. And you saw other people there who are, you know, national reporters, national scouts who are mentioning, you know, he was the best wide receiver there. I was really watching like their games mainly. So I'm a little influenced by that, but I thought that, and, and, you know, in, when I was watching, it was pretty clear that he was the best guy there as well. Um, and he got a pat, catch passes from Quinn Ewers and hit a couple deep shots down the middle of the field. Like he's going to be really, really good. And and everybody, you know, when when Ohio when Brian Hartline targeted him, he was just another three star recruit. And it's unbelievable what Brian Hartline can do. And and the fact that yes, he can go out and recruit the number one wide receiver in the country, and also he can find the three star that is committed to Arizona that nobody's talking about. And yes, I, I think he's going to be awesome. CJ Hicks sounds pretty confident coming out of the opening, that he's the best linebacker in the country. Did he look like that when you watched him? Yeah, that was the other guy who I was going to mention. I didn't, 
you know, when, when you're watching mainly seven on seven, it's hard to pay too much attention to linebackers because they're just not getting a ton of action. But, you know, you, you also got to watch him in the individual drills. You know, he was working with Willie McGinnis, which is always interesting to, to see them work with a pro like that. And, and yet, you know, he was the first guy going through those kind of drills there. Um, he was the leader that you'd expect. He was vocal. He is physically really, really impressive for where he is. And, and he's super athletic for, for being a linebacker. Um, he's, he's, he's on the lighter side right now. I'm sure that Ohio state will want to have, have him add the pounds, uh, either before he gets on campus or, or once he gets on campus. Um, but yeah, he's, he's gonna, he's shockingly enough, the five-star linebacker from Dayton. Uh, he looks like a five-star linebacker, no matter where he is in the country. You mentioned Xavier Nwankpa as well. What did you learn about him? Yeah, you know, I talked to him and, uh, well, one, I would say before we get to the on-field stuff, like off of the field, he was completely inseparable from Keon Gray's and CJ Hicks. I mean, wherever they went, they were, it was just that trio. It's, it's just, it's hard for me not to think about him as being a Ohio State lean, just based on the kind of relationships he has with those guys and others in the class. Um, he talked he, he raved about his Ohio State visit, and, and yes, you know Notre Dame, Texas a and there are others in the mix there, but um, those bonds with the Ohio State commits are real, and I got to see them with my two eyes, and, and you know they are they they are tight um, on the field. You know he's the I think he's the the number five safety in the composite ratings, number one safety in the two four seven ratings. I have always said, me personally, I'm just not great at evaluating safeties, and it must be true here too. Because I thought he was fine. I didn't think he was exceptional. Um, I thought he was good. Um, you know, he got beat on a few plays that, that I remember in the seven-on-seven seven games, uh, having people get behind him. But, um, you know, you can tell how athletic he is. And like I said, probably my number one takeaway, but, you know, more so based uh, more so than, than how he played was that his bonds with Keon Grays and CJ Hicks, like those guys are – those guys are tight. Those guys are great friends, and that is going to help Ohio State. Now, we've talked about a lot of very good, positive, happy news for Ohio State on the show, but we, we also got to talk about uh, one piece of bad news for Ohio State that happened this past week, and that was Brennan Vernon, five-star defensive end from Menor, Ohio, committing to Notre Dame. And, you know, I can't say that I was shocked by this after talking to him a, a week earlier at one of the final Ohio state camps, it was clear. He really loved Notre Dame. I mean, he said as much and, and, and it was, uh, you got the vibe that he was leaning that way. So I wasn't shocked when I saw this, but Colin, I think if we had talked about this back in September, I believe it was when you went to watch Brennan Vernon play at mentor and talk to him after, I think at that time we would have been pretty shocked by the notion that he would end up somewhere other than Ohio state. He basically sounded like he was an Ohio State commit when I went back and talked to him after that Ohio State game last fall, um, and which probably I kept in the forefront of my mind when it seemed like in, in recent weeks and you know the past month it seemed like Notre Dame was was becoming a a much bigger option for him. Um, you know he's he's an interesting guy. Like I always enjoyed. You know, I, I really enjoyed talking to him, and I know that you know when he did an interview at Ohio State's camp, he was an interesting guy to talk to then as well. Um, the this is this is it's it's rare these days when Ohio State loses a high end Ohioan, a guy who they really want. Um, but him picking Notre Dame right now, 
it feels like more and more over the past few months, Notre Dame and Ohio State are, are battling for some key guys. Certainly. I mean, you just mentioned it with Xavier and Wonkba. And then if, if we stick with Ohioans in that class of 2023, Sonny Styles, the the only guy who's ranked higher than Brennan Vernon in the class of 23 from the state of Ohio, that's going to be a very real battle of Notre Dame too, because uh, his older brother, Lorenzo Styles Jr., is a freshman wide receiver there. And certainly I think a lot of this has to do with Marcus Freeman, the former Buckeye linebacker, who's now the defensive coordinator there. I know he played a big role in landing Vernon, and I think he is a big reason why Notre Dame all of a sudden is starting to look like a major rival for Ohio State on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I would say that Sonny Styles, in my opinion, is the most important recruit regardless of class right now. Um, because I don't think that – I mean, if you're Ohio State, you can't get beat for the two five-stars in the 2023 class in your backyard – um, especially Sonny Styles, who everybody who has seen him raves about him and thinks that Sonny Styles is going to be great, regardless of if he plays safety, if he plays linebacker, bullet, whatever he is at Ohio State, people think he's going to be great. And and this is is defending your turf against a Buckeye, and that's always fascinating. And we haven't seen a ton of that recently. I mean, you people have talked about like Michigan should maybe hire someone from Ohio. Michigan should hire you know find a Marcus Freeman and and or you know, maybe they should hire Luke Fickle. We haven't seen a ton of that from, from neighboring states. And we're seeing it right now with Marcus Freeman trying to do work in Ohio and doing it successfully. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think he's absolutely uh, right at the top of a board for 2023 right now. I think he's a guy Ohio State uh, really wants, and I think it would uh, definitely hurt to lose him. And, you know, I, I, definitely, I definitely don't want to overstate this because my feeling is, this will probably change in a big way within the next six months. But I do think it's slightly disappointing that we sit here on July 7, 2021, and Ohio State doesn't have a single commitment for the class of 2023 yet. Like you mentioned, you know, A.J. Harris is a guy who maybe could come in soon. There, there's certainly other guys who visited this past month that uh, are, are certainly uh, look like guys that Ohio State could land. And it's so early in the recruiting process for – a lot of those guys that, you know, a, a lot of them just aren't at a commitment point yet. But I think when you see a guy like Brennan Vernon go commit to Notre Dame, now I think it, it, it becomes at least a, a small question of why doesn't Ohio State have any commits yet for this class? Like I said, I, I, I think most likely uh, that question is going to be rendered irrelevant by, in a few months from now. Ohio State's going to start uh, picking up steam in that class and will ultimately end up with another uh, highly ranked uh, class there. But, you know, when you just compare it to the, the couple classes before, it, it again, a lot of this goes back to the pandemic, but it does seem like Ohio State's off to a little bit of a slower start there uh, than what we've seen in recent years. They are. Um, I think that Ohio, I think that part of the reason you say that is because Ohio State has done really well early in classes. I think it's also worth pointing out that Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Penn State also don't have a single 2023 commit. So I don't really know how much it matters um, at all right now. I just think it's a little bit different because, yeah, I mean, we saw Jack Sawyer in this past class. We saw him commit on, in February, um, two years before he was going to sign with Ohio State, which is 
a little bit crazy, but like that's what Ohio State has done successfully is they've gotten some of these guys in early. And, you know, I thought Brennan Vernon could be that guy, especially when I talked to him last fall and he's not. So Ohio State's going to have to go find a, find somebody else to be that guy. And, you know, maybe it's a Luke Montgomery. Like he, I think is a prime candidate to, to be that guy, you know, AJ Harris, like I mentioned, you know, he would like to commit this month. If AJ Harris is the your cornerstone of the class, I'm just saying after seeing him, it, I don't know that it gets any better than that. Um, so I think Ohio State's going to be a okay. I would put my concern meter on this at zero. Eight hundred eighty-two days was the number of days between Ohio State's first commitment for the class of twenty twenty-one and its last. Yeah, there was a, uh, you know, there were some things that happened between then. <laughs> the yeah. world changed a little bit. That that that's for sure, and I don't think it will be. 882 days uh, between the first and last commitments for the 2023 class. I don't think it it, it actually can be at that yeah, point. It's actually Because the 2023 season will have started 882 days from now. I'm not that good at math to know exactly what day that will be. But, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, a little bit of basketball news this past week, too, that I think we should get to here uh, before we end this week's show. And uh, one piece of good news, one piece of bad news. The bad news is Dwayne Washington – uh, will not be back next season. He is staying in the NBA draft. The good news is EJ Liddell is back and he will play another season for the Buckeyes. And I don't think uh, either of these decisions came as much surprise. I think if you kind of read the tea leaves the last three weeks, you could kind of uh, see where this thing was heading. Uh, it, it certainly seemed like Dwayne, uh, you know, if his performance at the G League camp, that uh, he was probably going to lean toward going pro. And I think all along, we felt like it was most likely uh, that EJ was going to come back for another year. So uh, when, when you look at that, I mean, what do you think makes a bigger impact on next season, losing Dwayne or keeping EJ? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's hard to answer because they're, they just go so hand in hand. Like it would have been an absolute disaster to lose both of those two. And I don't think you're going to see Ohio state look at the transfer portal right now for guys I feel confident that if both of them had left, like they would have had to go find somebody experienced to add because they would have lost far too much um, to, to go into Ohio, to go into this next season, um, losing all of them and not adding an extra guy this summer. But um, I think, I think it's fair starting with Dwayne and I'll be honest, like I haven't written a ton about this. I haven't really talked a ton about this because you've been gone and there's been a lot of news coming in. So uh, I think that Dwayne is, it's a, it, there, there are two main things about Dwayne. I think it's one, like, I think it's, I think it's impossible to overstate the development success story that Dwayne is. Um, and I think that that's worth noting because a lot of people who watch Ohio state and who pay attention to Ohio state, whether they're watching every game, you're just paying attention from a periphery, talk about like, you know, recruiting wise, like talking about five stars and the importance of adding them. And yes, I think that's true. But if you look at what Dwayne Washington did, like Dwayne Washington's career, you know, he was a, he was the 167th player in the country. He was a, a relatively under the radar guy who came in and year after year and proved to the point where like this past season, in the middle of the year, he became a legitimate three level scorer. And I was saying by the end of the year, like his game is sort of NBA. Like he, he plays like an NBA guard in college. And I did wonder like what that would mean for him. I thought that he would come back. I expected him to come back for senior season. 
Um, but I understand why he's confident that, that he can make an NBA roster and he can do this. The other aspect is, at least from Dwayne, like it's, it's unfortunate that we're never going to get to see him have a, a, avenge his last game, like to come back um, and prove that the lasting memory of him shouldn't be that Oral Roberts disaster. Um, and that will be the last game that he played. And I think that that's unfortunate for him because he's playing far too late down the stretch for that to be the last game. But um, all in all, like he's moving on and Ohio State has to figure out what's next. And I think that the biggest question mark right now is their backcourt. I mean, it's obvious. It it's not, doesn't take a genius to say that. You're looking at a backcourt now that is Michi Johnson, who came in the middle of last year as a freshman, Malachi Branham, who is a true freshman, Jamari Wheeler, who's a transfer, and Jimmy Sotos, who was a transfer last year, didn't play much, and is coming off a shoulder injury. And that's the backcourt. And you got to figure out what to do with that. And I think there's a lot of talent there, um, but we it will be completely different. It will be completely different. What do you think that looks like? Who starts? Who plays the most? Uh, who has the most ability to re- replace that scoring that they're losing from Dwayne? Yeah, I think I think it's hard. I think that question is really hard to answer right now. Um, I would look to Malachi Branham and say like. It would have been nice for him to have Dwayne Washington because there wouldn't have been as much pressure. I think there's pressure on Malachi Branham now to to be not not the guy for this team, but an important piece, an important guy for this team as a scorer, as a guy who can create his own shot off the dribble. Um, I think he's really important. I think Michi Johnson taking a net step in his development. Like I look at three guys on the team, Michi, Zed Key, and Malachi Branham, and say, like, I think those three might be the most important three. Um, off seasons on this team and that they're guys who I think can be really good, but they got to stay on a, on a pretty, uh, their, their trajectory has to be pretty steep upward. And I think that we've seen positive signs from those three thus far. Um, but we're going to need to see them, uh, in a few months and, and see how much better they've gotten because, uh, I don't look at Jamari Wheeler and say, you know, he's, I, I think Jamari Wheeler is a great role player. Um, I, He's not a guy who's going to be creating his own shot or stuff like that. He's not going to be a 12-point game scorer or something like that. Um, Jimmy Sotos the same way. Like, Jimmy Sotos can shoot. Um, I think that Jimmy Sotos in his last game before he suffered that shoulder injury, I thought he was showing some really positive signs. But I don't really know if you're going to rely on Jimmy Sotos to play 25 minutes a game. I mean, you're going to look at Michi Johnson. You're going to look at Malachi Branham and say, you know, the bat, the backcourt in a lot of ways offensively is, is in your hands. And these are two young guys who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot who – I think that a lot of people are excited to see, but they're also basically totally unproven. Yeah, I think two guys who are going to be really important to not necessarily in backcourt, but just for the team are Justice Suing and Seth Towns. Because I think, you know, again, that, that backcourt we're talking about, you're probably not going to be able to replace all of Dwayne's scoring with those guys. So I think those guys on the wing, I think you're going to need to get more scoring from there. I think, you know, Justice is a guy that we saw it from at times last year, but I think they need him to become a more consistent guy. I think they need to get more out of him. And then obviously with Seth, the big question is health. I mean, I think we saw flashes from him last year, but, you know, he just wasn't healthy enough uh, to play the kind of minutes uh, they needed from him to really be an impact player. So to me, those are two important guys as well that I think uh, to pick up some of that, uh, scoring that, that's going out the door with Dwayne. I, I think those are two guys I look at that, you know, they need to step up and, and really be uh, complimentary pieces to EJ in the front court. 
Yeah, I think they're important. Like my question there is how are you getting everybody minutes? I think that that's probably one of the more interesting aspects of this. When you think about, you know, I think Justin, Justin Arns could play some two uh, as a, as an off ball too, but you know, he's a wing, Eugene Brown's a wing. Um, Seth Towns is a, he's a forward, but he's essentially a wing. Uh, Justice Zewing is a wing. Like you're looking at those guys to play, you know, one position essentially one and a half positions if you want to throw in the 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 two guard and then at power forward presuming that they stick with the plan which right now is to have zed key and joey brunk be the centers and ej liddell and kyle young be the power forwards there are a lot of guys there in that three four position that i don't 100 percent know how the minutes are going to shake out and and i don't know uh i i really don't know i think that's maybe my number one question for this team is is what not my number one question. That's one of my many questions for this team is how, how do those minutes play out? Because there are a lot of guys there who are veterans who can play. And I don't, I don't hundred percent know how it's going to look once next season rolls around. So what do you think are of a reasonable expectations for this team? Now, I think there was a belief that if both EJ and Dwayne were back, then, you know, the ceiling for this team was extremely high that they had the potential uh, to be one of the best teams in the country. With, with Dwayne not being back, do, do you think those expectations need to be tempered a bit? Well, I think they need to be tempered in that. Like, I legitimately thought if Dwayne was back, Ohio State might be a national championship contender um, and a Big Ten title winner um, and a top five team in the country. Like, I thought that that's what the potential of this team could be. And I look at the backcourt and I'm pretty nervous. Um, I know some people look at it and they say Dwayne Washington was Dwayne Washington was a little bit too crazy for me. Like, I know that there are a lot of people who think that I think he's a, he's a, he's a lightning rod. I mean, a lot of people have different differing opinions on Dwayne Washington, but I do think when you take him out of the mix, like I, I'm a little bit nervous about this backcourt personally. Um, so I wouldn't have them in that number one upper echelon of the big 10 right now. I'd probably put them on that second tier, whether the third or fourth, uh, the, the third or fourth team in the conference, I think they're going to be really good. Um, I think they should be really good. You're bringing back a ton. Um, when, when you think about all the veterans, especially in the front court. Uh, but I do think that there are some backcourt questions that need to be answered. And until the season starts, we're not really going to know what those answers will be and what it's going to look like. And that's why I think you have to, you have to approach this with a little bit of wait and see, um, which is never fun because everybody likes a good hype train. And if Dwayne Washington had returned, that hype train would have taken off. Um, but I do think that there are some major question marks here that this team's going to have to address in the backcourt when you consider all the talent they have in the front court, but there's just a total, there, there are some total unknown uh, commodities in the backcourt. What do you expect from EJ? I mean, how much better can he be? What can he do uh, to take his game to new heights and potentially improve his NBA draft stock for a year from now? Yeah. I wonder what he's going to do. Like, I wonder what he's going to look like. Like <laughs> EJ did not want to come back and play center. I think that that was clear. Um, I think it's very clear too that EJ EJ wants to prove that he can be small Fordish in the NBA. And I think that means being able to dribble the ball a little bit more. I think that means being able to shoot it at a higher clip. I think that means being able to move his feet defensively better and, and guard guards and wing players rather than centers. Um, 
And I don't know if that means playing any of the three at all, or if it just means playing the four at Ohio state. Um, but if, if you're trying to tell EJ that, Hey, come back, we're going to help your NBA draft stock. We're going to compete for championships as well. Like you're doing that. You're, you're making that pitch to him knowing that um, it will be a different role for him. And I'll be honest, like, I don't really know what it's going to be like. I think, I think his, his style of play will be fairly similar, but he's going to be in a totally different role because last year he was guarding seven footers. He was out down there, you know, battling with Hunter Dickinson. Like he's not going to be doing that this year. It'll be different. He'll, he'll be matched up with other guys rather than six foot 11 guys. He'll have a six foot eight guy on him, a six foot seven guy. And, and it'll be, he'll, he'll have to be able to attack them differently. We had a lot to cover uh, here on this week's episode of real pod Wednesdays managed to get it done. in uh, just over an hour, I was, a lot more we could have talked about. We could talk about the whole uh, wild, wild west that is uh, name, image, and likeness now. And I'm sure we'll uh, talk about that here on the show eventually. But uh, lots to talk about on the uh, roster movement front uh, for both Ohio State football and basketball this week. And uh, plenty more to come uh, as we uh, start moving toward uh, Big Ten media days here in, in just a couple weeks. A uh, lot more uh, for us to talk about here as we start uh, inching ever closer uh, to the start of Ohio State football season. So uh, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll talk to you again soon.